Church. This is a series we're in, and we're going to finish this series up next Sunday, so you don't want to miss next Sunday. Hopefully, you can come back. And uh, today, we're talking about saved people serve people. Saved people serve people so that served people will be saved people. Am I confusing you? I hope so. Let's try it together. Here we go. Let's say it together. Save people, serve people, so that serve people will be saved. That's really why we serve. At the end of the day, our series entitled I Love My Church is not really a saying I love the church as in a building or programs or preaching. What we are actually saying is we love people. That's really what we're saying. We are saying as a church, as a statement, a declaration that we love people. And our church, we try to go to the extremes to show it. We're not a very big church. We're not a church that has a lot of funding or anything. We're really in startup mode and, and God's doing some incredible things. But there's one thing. Other churches may have a better worship. They may have better uh, uh, children's ministry, better greeting, better coffee, better muffins. But one thing that we can out better any other person, if out better is proper grammar, which I know it's not, for all of you English majors and minors, you're like, oh, I just can't listen. Just know the fact is we can outcare anybody else. Amen. There should be no excuse why we can't love another person. You see, too often we don't show love for a neighbor who is visible because we're saying, no, I love a God who is Invisible. God wants us to make our love visible to those that are around us. That's the proof of our love is how we share with one another. So we're in a series entitled Love, Love, My Church. And then today we're talking about save people, serve people. And we're in John chapter number 13. Let me give you a little backstory before we dive into the word this morning. This is Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. This is his last meal with his disciples. It's a special meal. There's a lot that's about to take place in John chapter number 13. And let's pick it up in verse number one. The Bible says this in verse number one. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for the supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his mission. He knew why he was here. He knew what he was supposed to do. It's a great day when you discover your why. When you discover why God put me here. What has God entrusted me to do? When you discover that God has great plans for your life, it's a wonderful day. Awesome things happen when we discover it. Isn't it interesting too, as you watch movies, even Hollywood gets it. My son, Austin, he likes this Ninjago cartoon that he likes with the Legos, and he'll watch it. And he'll come up to me, he'll say, which ninja are you? And I was like, okay, and I have to remember one of the little ninja guys, and I think there's Kai and Cole and, 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 and others, Lloyd, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and things like that. So I have to pick a ninja, and he's like, no, don't pick that one, because that one has not unlocked his true potential. I said, oh my goodness, you're five. And he's coaching me on unlocking my true potential. 
But then isn't it interesting? Isn't it if you watch the movies and if you watch the old Matrix movie, Neo and Neo that didn't unlock his true potential until he discovered who he was. You know, as a Christ follower, until you discover your identity, you've not unlocked your true potential. You see, Jesus, he knew why he was here. He knew when he was supposed to do what he was supposed to do. He knew. Do you know this morning why you're here? Are you just kind of going through life? Just, just kind of existing. You see, God has more for you. God has so much more. So notice this, verse number four. So he got up from the table. This is his last meal. The last meal. So he gets up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now let me just pause for a moment. I started off my life groups, uh, not this semester, but the previous semester in a life group, and we all had a topic. Very first day, I was trying to get to know everybody, and we all agreed, all 12, 14 of us, we all agreed we don't like feet. I don't know how we got to that conversation, but we all were talking about feet. Is anybody here, you know, feet just kind of like gross you out a little bit? Anybody? Okay, there's a, yes, yes. I, I knew I wasn't alone. There are certain times you just look at somebody's feet, and you're like, oh, hey, hello, man, we need to go get a pedicure I think it's what they call it. Manicure, pedicure. Manicure is the fingernails. Pedicure is the feet, right? All right, there we go. You can tell I don't go often. And I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was telling me he broke a pair of nail clippers on his toenails. That's a problem. That's a problem. If you have that problem, let's pray for you. We'll lay hands on you, and we'll ask the Lord to rebuke something out of you because that, that's wrong, all right? And so he gets up. He washes their feet. This is amazing. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, stooped down to wash the disciples' feet. Now today, imagine, I mean, today we, we have hygiene, and we clean, and we shower, we bathe, and we do all kinds of things. Back then, they just, sandals everywhere, right? And imagine just all the stuff that they had on their feet. And Jesus knelt down, stooped down, humbled himself, and washed the disciples' feet. Skip to verse 12. The Bible says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. I've given you an example. Verse 17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. In this passage, following it, we see that there's a blessing on the line. There's a blessing on the line in this passage. There's so much God wants to do and he wants to show us, he wants to reveal to us, but I believe we need to ask God's help in, 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 in reading and in interpreting this and really seeing what God has for us. And I believe you want the same thing. I believe you want God to speak to you. How many of you say, yes, I want God to speak to me this morning? Amen. Let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just read your word. We see here that there's a powerful principle you want to share. And right now, it'd be really easy to get distracted by what's going on this afternoon. Be easy to get distracted by lunch. Be easy to get distracted by the plans for the week. So right now, I pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds, that we would focus in on you and your word. I pray that your word would do a work that I cannot do. I pray that you would help and work in a mighty way. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're praying here and we're asking God to teach us and to show us how it is, why it's so important that saved people serve people so that served people would be saved people. And here Jesus, he sets the example. Now, like I said, this is his last meal. 
Now, he sits at a table, and we don't know exactly what it would have been like, except for the fact that in Middle Eastern cultures, tables weren't exactly like this, okay? But for the sake of illustration, we're going to sit at a table, okay? So he's sitting at a table, enjoying his last meal. Now, how many parents, or I shouldn't say parents, how many mothers know it's amazing to get through a meal without being interrupted? Isn't it amazing? If you get through a meal without being interrupted, it was a great meal. Usually, mama has to eat last. Usually, okay? Till either the kids are all out of the house, and then usually your husband's asking you for something. But, I mean, to be interrupted in a meal, this is, this is, this is normal for mama. But for guys, we don't like to be interrupted. No, no, no. Once we get to the table, it's game on. We're, it's our food, dude. That's what we're focused on. But did you notice the Bible says Jesus pushed back from the table and he got up. You think, what I see today is too often we're so preoccupied with our comfort we miss out on our calling. If you're ever going to fulfill the calling God has in your life, you've got to push back on some stuff. Was it wrong to want to sit in here and eat? No, not at all. This is his last meal. Come on. This is the last meal he's going to eat before he goes through, quite literally, hell on earth. It would have been really easy for Jesus to justify the fact why he should sit down and continue to eat. Why he should, hey, John, lowest on the totem pole. Because typically when you walk into the room, the lowest on the totem pole would wash the feet of everybody. But you remember the disciples, they had the argument, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? May we sit on your left hand or your right hand? They have this argument. So all the disciples thought they were the greatest. So none of the disciples ponied up and they decided to wash Jesus, uh, to wash the feet. No, Jesus pushed back from the table, stands up, even though this is his last meal, even though he had every right to sit there and enjoy the meal, enjoy the time, he pushes back. I'm going to tell you, church, too often we come to church with a posture that says, recline and receive. We come into church, we sit down, and we want to make sure the worship fits our style. We want to make sure the seats fit our behinds. We want to make sure the preaching stays under 27 and a half minutes, because if it goes longer than 27 and a half minutes, guess what? Our brains check out, and we want to make sure the temperature's just right. We want to make sure everything's just right, because if it isn't, I'm just here to recline and receive. Because in that culture, that's what you would do. I've eaten at an Ethiopian restaurant here in the area, and uh, they have two sides of the restaurant. You can go to one side where you sit down at a table, and then they bring you your Ethiopian food, or they have the other side. And I told my wife, we didn't eat over there, because you get to lay down on a cushion. They have a little table, and you kind of recline, and you relax. And it's kind of like Friday night watching Netflix. You know, you got your popcorn, you got your Dr. Pepper, and uh, uh, you're sitting there, you're relaxed, you're ready to watch some TV, and just check out. And that's what the disciples were doing. And I think too often that could be our posture when we come to church. Our posture can be that, hey, I'm just here to recline and receive. What do you got for me today? I hope it keeps me awake. I hope the music's better than last week. Man, it was off key. Worse than that, the speakers didn't even work, so it wasn't just off key. It, was, it was, didn't work at all. So if you just noticed it was off key, then we were doing a lot better than we thought. you know. And so if you come with that posture, that reveals a lot about us, doesn't it? But Jesus said, hey, look, I'm the son of God. I have every right, but guess what? I'm going to push back on my right. I'm going to push back on my comfort. I'm going to push back on my posture. Because that's exactly what he said in verse 4. So he got up from the table. Hey, this morning, some of you, you're sitting at the table. And I love the fact that Jesus invites us to the table. Isn't that incredible? Like, if we just stop there for a second, that Jesus actually invites us 
I used to go to this Christian camp. Before we'd eat, we'd sing this old hymn. It went like this. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table. And I won't sing the rest. It's bad. But we had to sing it every time we ate. And I just, I just, I loved it. I thought, this is great. We eat before, you know, we get to sing before we eat. And it was just this, this invitation. But really, that's the invitation that God gives to us. It's the invitation to come. It's the invitation to sit. It's the invitation to enjoy. But guess what? Many of us, many of us are like the old hymn. My house is full, but my fields are empty. Many want to stay around my table, but who wants to work in my fields? You see, for the church today, it seems to me we've got a little issue. It seems to me we've got a little problem where 80% are fine with 20% working. Where the 80% come in with the posture, hey, the songs better be good, the AC better be turned up, the heat better be good, children's better be rocking, and man, all these things better happen because I'm here to just receive, just receive. Pass the plate, yeah, I'll put a 20. Just to receive, just to receive. Oh man, that preacher, he's not real deep. I need some deep stuff. I need some meat, man. I need, I need some protein. Excuse me, how long have you been a Christian? 25 years. Okay, and after 25 years, you haven't learned to feed yourself yet? You still waiting on the pastor to feed you? Hey, my mama stopped feeding me when I was about 18 months old. Because the stuff she fed me was gross. It was blended, mashed up, it was green. You want to eat that? You see, that's the posture little babies have, little baby chick. They have, they're just waiting for mom to regurgitate some food in their mouth. Is that what we're here? No, I get it. I get it. Every Sunday, we've got to open up the word. We should be able to receive something. But sometimes we can come into church just kind of like, all right, what you got for me today, preacher man? Man, you better give me something good, something deep. Better be some Greek in there. I don't even understand Greek, but I want some Greek today. I mean, you don't know a Greek salad from a regular salad, but yeah, you want a Greek in the church? I mean, I, I don't get you. And you want some Hebrew? I don't even know Hebrew. Are you kidding me right now? What, are you going to go order something in Hebrew? Are you going to go talk to somebody in Hebrew? you got to have it in the Hebrew? Now, I get it. I get it. I, I, I took Greek in college. I paid a lot of money to learn some Greek. I don't remember any of it. I want the money back. But you know what? I know some Greek. You need some Greek. We can give some Greek. To be a servant means doulos. You know what doulos means? Slave. There's your Greek. God bless you. I hope that helps you. You see, a servant was a slave. Oh, we don't like that, do we? Oh, if you want some Greek, I'll give you some Greek. It meant to be a slave. It meant that you're God's property. Oh, oh wait, 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 no, we don't need Greek. Who needs Greek? I know. You see, when, when it comes down to serving, Jesus said, I'm going to push back on my right, and I'm going to have a posture, a posture that says, I don't have to serve, but I will serve. You see, sometimes we come to church, and we see God as the producer, and the church as the provider, and it just kind of get passed down, and we're just here to receive. But God's saying, when are you going to come with a different posture? When are you going to come ready to serve? Their position, though, their posture was recline and receive, but their position was to consume and complain. Consume and complain. You see, when it's all about us as consumers, of course we're going to complain. Of course we're going to say, oh, I want this, and I want this. And this is where we get church hoppers today. Well, if I don't have it just like this, and I want a message like this, and guess what? No, we will focus on 20% that's negative, and we'll miss the 80% that's awesome. I'll tell you this, every church has a 20% that just stinks. Every church. Every church has got 20%, and you can find the 20% that you, if you major on that 20%, yeah, you're going to leave. You're going to hop from church to church, like, oh, you can't find a perfect one. No. That's what we said last week, no perfect people allowed. If you think you're perfect, well, don't come to our church. We know we're messed up. We know we've got issues. 
So when it comes here, Jesus is saying, hey, don't have a posture that says I'm here to consume and then complain. Well, we say it like this. We say it like this. It's not about you, boo. Would you touch your neighbor and say, it's not about you, boo. It's not about you, boo. It's not about you. You see, when you come to church, you're saying, hey, it's not about me. So guess what? If the coffee wasn't exactly 120 degrees like it is at Starbucks, and I kid you not, it's 120 degrees when you get your coffee at Starbucks. And uh, you say, it's not exactly 120. It was 95, a little lukewarm. That's not how I like my coffee, because that's not how God likes his coffee. Lukewarm, he spews it out. It's either got to be cold, iced, or hot. Don't give me any of this lukewarm coffee. Or you say, man, these muffins, I'm tired of these gluten-free muffins. Well, we're trying to worry about your health, okay? Forgive us for caring about your health and feeding you gluten-free muffins, all right? And so you say, I need some donuts. Okay, well, I'm sorry about that. We got gluten-free muffins. Enjoy, okay? And uh, so we look here and we step back. And we say, we're not just here to consume. We're here to say, God, what do you have for us? So we're pushing back on what we think we want. Let me ask you a question. Parents, grandparents in the room, do you remember all the times you reminded your children to put their dirty clothes in the laundry hamper, to make their bed, do their homework and brush their teeth. I mean, I bet every parent, every grandparent has said it a hundred, maybe even a hundred thousand times. Did you brush your teeth? Did you wash your hands? Did you make your bed? Did you do your homework? You just did it, did it. And then one day, one day, you almost had a heart attack. Why? Because you walked past their bedroom and you stopped. You know why you stopped? The bed was made and you didn't have to remind them. What now? Another time, you're walking by the bathroom and you look in, it's bedtime, you look, they're brushing their teeth, about to save you some money on that dentist bill. Amen. Glory to God. That's exciting. You walk by another time and it's a Friday afternoon and you think they're going to go out and have a good time with their friends. They're sitting there doing homework. You think, oh my Lanta, this is incredible. They're doing their homework. And then the wife looks over her husband. He's putting the toilet seat down. He's putting the laundry in the laundry hamper. He's washing the car. He's fixing the gate. He's painting the house. Oh my goodness, we've had salvation has come to the house today. You're excited. Why? Because Because what's happened? Maturity is about moving from I have to be reminded to I do it on my own. Did anybody remind Jesus to wash feet? What does spiritual maturity mean? I do it. I don't need to be reminded. You see, we got a church filled with good people. And I know you people. You'll serve. But here's what I got to say. Many today, this is your attitude. I'll serve, pastor. You just got to call me. Wait a minute, now, why I, why I always got to be calling you? Why I always got to be texting you? Why I always got to make sure you show up? When are we going to get to the point where we say, you know what, I'm spiritually mature. I show up. Nobody needs to call me. I'll be there. You don't need to call me. You don't need to send me an email. I said I'll be there. I will show up. I said it. I'll be a part of that ministry team. I will show up. Nobody needs to tell me because I'm spiritually mature. I am growing, and a sign of growth is I don't need to be reminded anymore to do what I know I need to do. I don't need to be reminded to open my Bible and read it for myself. I don't need to be reminded that I need to be at church. I don't need to be reminded that I need to serve people. I don't need to be reminded of these things. Guess what? I do it because I am growing in my spiritual walk. You see, too often we think growth is all about head knowledge, but you'll see all throughout the gospel, all throughout Jesus' teaching, he said, guess what? You want to see growth? It's really when you put it into practice. What did he say? Your faith without works is dead. He says, dead? 
He said, you think you have faith because you've got all the Greek and all the Hebrew and all that stuff memorized. So that's not it. It's when you put into practice these things. When you say, you know what, I don't need to be reminded. I just do it. It's a sign of spiritual growth where you don't have to constantly be reminded. So first of all, we see Jesus push back. Notice, continue, verse number four. Very next part of the verse, he says he took off his robe. Now this has some deep significance. Jesus taking off his robe. This goes deep. The Bible says that Jesus, he humbled himself and became a servant. And he even humbled himself to the point of death, even taking the cross. This has this idea that takes real humility to humble himself. You see, he pushed back, but then he put on a towel. Man, he had to take off his robe. The robe that he had, get this now, church, the robe that he had, you would wear a tunic and then you'd wear this outer type, vest type tunic. And that would be two things. That outer tunic would keep you warm in the winters because of the desert, arid climate. It would drop and it'd be really cold in the, in the morning time. So you'd wear that to keep you warm, but then it'd also protect you from the heat. But the thing was, with that outer tunic, it was really cumbersome. It was hard to work, so you would take that off. And so Jesus took that off. It was the robe that the centurions, they're going to fight over in a few hours. They're going to gamble for that robe. It was a valuable robe because the Bible says it didn't have any seams. Now, whenever you have a shirt or a piece of clothing, the less seams, the better the manufacturer. The less seams. I don't know if you knew that. But when you have a bunch of seams everywhere, it's cheaper manufacturing. But when you have a garment that has less seams, it's more valuable. So Jesus, the Bible said, they didn't have any seams. This is a coat that his mom may have worn for him, so it's very valuable. And so this coat, he takes it off. When you serve somebody else, it's going to take some humility. You may have to take some things off. It may be, you may have a position. You may drive a nice car. You may live in a big house. You may have a great bank account. But guess what? There's some times you say, hey, I'm going to push back and I'm going to put on humility. I'm stepping into the character of Christ where, guess what? He put on the robe of humanity because he was in deity. But he said, hey, I'll step into my humanity. I'll humble myself and I will serve. You see, Jesus, he had to take off his robe. You see, there's a lot of things that get in the way of us serving Jesus. Real practical. Here's a couple things that get in the way of serving Jesus. Many of us would say, I just don't have enough time. I just don't have enough time. There's just not enough time to serve Jesus. I got time for Candy Crush. I got time for social media. I've got time for my apps. I've got time for Netflix. I've got time to watch the cross, but I just don't have time to serve. I don't have time to make coffee, to greet, or to usher, to sing in the worship team. I just ain't got that kind of time. It's funny, isn't it? That Jesus didn't have a lot of time either, did he? He has a few hours. And those few hours, he said, this is the most important thing that I wash some disciples' feet? Like, who's going to remember that? Like, honestly, I bet the disciples were sitting there because it was such a common cultural norm to have somebody wash your feet. I don't think they thought 2,000 years later that somebody in San Jose, California would be talking about this instant of foot washing, but yet there it was. We're talking about it. A little thing can go a long way. You don't know the impact one small little gesture can have. I was at a memorial service for one of our church members yesterday, and we were talking, and everybody after the end of the memorial service was talking about the Father, and everybody went up one after another after another person, and I was amazed. And there's an organization here in the area. It's called City Team Rescue Mission. And for 20 years, this retired colonel would deliver bread to City Team Rescue Mission. Every day he was there dropping off bread. Every day, every day, every day. They said for 20 years he he did this. And then one gentleman, he walked up, an elderly gentleman. And this elderly gentleman, you could tell, was struggling to keep his composure. And he said, I've got to say this about the colonel. He said, one summer I spent out there when the, with the colonel in Florida. And we weren't too far from Cape Canaveral. And so the, and the colonel said, hey, tomorrow morning we're going to watch a shuttle launch. 
And so tomorrow morning, you need to get up early. And so he says, I woke up at 4.30 thinking the whole family's going to go and watch this, this rocket launch. This is going to be great. Who gets to see a rocket launch at Cape Canaveral? How awesome is that? And this is the colonel. He can get a special access. And he goes out and he noticed that, no, it's just me and the colonel. And the colonel said, no, we're just me and you. We're going to go and we're going to watch this rocket launch. He said, that was 50 years ago. That's one of the memories that stayed with me about the kindness. A small little gesture, a small little act, maybe just changing one diaper, maybe just greeting somebody, maybe just hugging somebody, maybe just handing a bottle of water, maybe just handing an offering envelope, maybe just handing a bulletin, maybe just singing a worship song. You don't know the impact that that can have for generations, but you've got to be willing to say, hey, I'll give up some time. Not only do we have time, but then also talent. Some of us think, oh, I just don't have talent to serve that. I just don't have talent to do those things. Let me ask you this. How much talent does it really take to stack chairs? How much talent does it really take to set up? How much talent does it really take to watch children? How much talent does it really take to go in and tear down? How much talent does it really take to make coffee? How much talent? Wait, wait, stop. It does take talent to make coffee, actually. Let's stop there. Yes. We want talented people. We like good coffee here. If you don't have good coffee, we are not awake. We are not alive. We are not alert. So please, only baristas allowed to serve the coffee. But anything else, we don't need the talent. We just need you to show up. We just need you to be there and be a part of what God wants to do. So stop looking at it and say, I'm not talented. Hey, for the first year and a half, I led worship in this church. You say, what are you talking about? Yes, it was bad. We didn't grow. I promise you. It was terrible. But I would sing in the worship team because they needed some extra voices. And I would just sing. Why? Because we just needed somebody. And I didn't care. I was like, hey, I'll just sing Joyful Noise to the Lord. I'll be a part of that. Man, I would work nursery. I would teach. I would do anything in this church. Why? Because I love it. I love serving. And I hope that's our attitude. It would say, hey, anything, I'll do it. The other excuse that sometimes gets in our way is training. And you're right about this one. Our church does a terrible job at training. We do. We're going to step that up. That's going to change. Matter of fact, on September 9th, right here, we're going to be doing Chick-fil-A lunch for everybody. And we're going to do a bunch of training. Because we do want people trained how to be effective. We do want people to be trained how to greet and how to welcome people. How to not walk up to somebody that's their first time in church and say, we just want to love on you. You know, that sounds really creepy, especially if they're a female and you're a male usher. I just want to love on you. Oh my goodness. Lord, no. Where am I? This is not ChristianMingle.com. This is not, that's not here. Some of our Christianese just gets us into all kinds of mess, all right? And so we need some training sometimes. But there's some things we got to watch. So you see, first of all, Jesus, he pushed back. He put on. Notice verse number five. It says, and he poured water into a basin. He poured out. He poured out. It's going to take some, something when you're to serve. It's going to cost us something. And it'd be easy to look at those disciples and scuzzy feet, stuff under the toes, in between the toes, green stuff growing. Man, Matthias, what is going on with your feet, man? How many bunions can you have on a feet? My goodness. This is, that's bad. You can't pay me to touch that. Jesus doesn't do that. It's interesting. Do clean feet need to be washed? I know it's a rhetorical question. No. Only dirty feet do. And I think sometimes we can come to church and say, oh, I'll serve that person. That person looks really good. I want to serve that person. Oh, that person. Yeah, I'll serve that person. I'll wash that person's feet. They got really nice feet. Yeah. But they don't need their feet washed. It's the addict who needs their feet washed. It's a single mom who's really struggling to make it and needs their feet washed. 
It's the person who's just gone through the divorce. They need their feet washed. It's the person who's struggling to raise their children that they need their feet washed. It's the person that's down and out and depressed and discouraged and not sure if they should keep going in life. That's the person that needs their feet washed. It's the person that maybe they're a Fortune 500 company and they're the CEO. They still need their feet washed. It's not just a down and out. It's anybody that we see. We see that God's put them in our path and we're going to serve them. We're going to wash their feet because it's the people with dirty feet that come to church. It's the people with messed up lives that come and they need the hope of the gospel and it's up to us to pour out. It's up to us to say we care enough that we'll give, we will serve, we will go because that's what makes the church different. There's a whole lot of churches in San Jose and we may not be able to compete with them but we can out care those churches. We can out love, we can out serve, we can out go and we can out give. We can love our community and we should love our community. Shouldn't we church? But too often we're looking for beautiful feet. We're looking for the pretty feet. The cute feet. The feet that they're all cleaned up. Manicured nails. All perfect. But God's called us to go wash some feet that may not be all that beautiful. But yet, you and I get to be a part of making the feet better. Isn't that the power of the gospel? That we get to be a part of seeing that life transformed? I was at a church two weeks ago and one of the people, really sharp young lady, she was showing my wife around because when we go to a church, man, we just steal every idea. We take pictures. We look around. We grab all their media and we grab all their stuff. We try to grab their uh, staff. We try to hire them. We, try to, we just try to do everything we can. So we go to church. We just try to take everything, right? And uh, it's just how I'm wired. And so we're going around this lady. She's showing us everything, showing how the church works and all this great stuff. And we're learning. We're asking questions. And then I turn around and I say, well, tell me your story. She said, oh yeah, I was homeless 18 months ago living in a van with my three kids. I said, you got to be kidding me. She said, yeah, no. Because this church, I'm not homeless and I live in a van with my three kids. It was incredible. You would have looked at this person and thought, man, this person's like amazing, sharp, well-dressed, upstanding, clean feet person. (laughs) But 18 months ago, feet probably weren't so clean. You see, that's what's exciting about serving. It's getting to see that transformation. We don't have time, but in John chapter number two, it's a passage of Jesus' first miracle. Jesus turns the water into wine. Some of you are like, hey man, let's do some of that. We got some water out there. No, my goodness. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he turns the water into wine. And they serve the wine to the governor of the feast. He drinks, he says, this is the best I've ever tasted. He didn't know there was a problem. He didn't know they ran out of wine. He just thought, wow, they saved the best for last. How nice of them. And he drinks it. Only the servants knew about the miracle. It's only the ones serving that get to see the child except Jesus. It's only the ones that show up early that get to set up and they get to witness the miracle of what Jesus is going to do. It's only the ones that get up and they make the coffee and then they see that guest who comes and takes the coffee and puts a smile on their face. It's the ones that show up and they get the baptism ready and they put the water in and they get to see the people dunk. It's that person that receives the blessing. It's that person who gets the miracle. It's the person that who all week they've been praying and fasting and asking God to work on Sunday. It's that person who's been saying, God, use the pastor. God, use the worship ministry. It's that person that gets to see the miracle. Everybody else just thinks that's par for the course. They don't know the miracle that it took to get there. They didn't know the miracle that it took to build that, to do that. They just see what's already happened. They don't even know. You see, when you serve, you get to be a part of the miracle. You get to be a part of the miracle that when saved people, serve people, serve people, become saved people. Isn't that what the church is all about? Is that what we want? 
See, he poured out. He gave everything he had. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, my parents, they would come up to me and they would say, you're an Ermler. That stands for something. Any parents, you have that conversation with you? You go to your children and say, whatever your last name is. Man, you go up to him and Austin, he's going to kindergarten tomorrow. And my wife, all week, she's been asking me, she's like, am I going to cry? I was like, you better. What kind of mean mama doesn't cry when her kindergarten goes off to school? My goodness, you better cry. I might poke you with a little pin and make you cry. You got to cry tomorrow, okay? On cue, you better cry, all right? And I'm going to photograph it that you cried. It's like, heartless mama. No, she's not. Of course she's going to cry. I'm going to cry. Man, I'm going to have so much tissue. Austin's going to school. But we're talking to Austin. We're trying to prep him now because Austin, Austin's a... He's a special child in many ways. I pray that you would pray for him. He's only five. The other day I did something, and he looked at me and said, oh, what a shame. I said, oh, my goodness. He's five, and he looked at me. What a shame. Have I wasted my life? Have I failed you in some way? Have I let down your standards for being a father? You know, what's going on, you know? It was just something that happened, and he just comes up this way. So you just got to pray for Miss Kim. Miss Kim is going to be his kindergarten teacher, and so we're praying for her. But I'm prepping Austin. I'm saying, Austin... Now you represent our family. And Miss Kim works is lives with Pastor Wes, and he'll know what a terrible father I am. So Austin, for the love of God, please, please behave tomorrow at school. Please don't use any of your mom's curse words. I'm just kidding. Why? Because it represents my name. But think about this. You and I, we represent the name of Jesus. If you've received Jesus in your heart, and if you were what we call born again and received him into your heart, then guess what? You represent the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And so everywhere you go, he goes. And everything you say, he says. And everything you do, he's doing. And you're a representation of him. So when you go somewhere, you do it in the name of Jesus. When you serve, you do it in the name of Jesus. When you love, you do it in the name of Jesus. And when you give a hug, or when you give something, when you do something, it's in the name of Jesus that you did it, and you serve. So we're you pour out. Remember, I'm not doing it just because of the church. I don't do it because this is what Southridge does. It's what Jesus does. This is the example of Jesus. It's what every Christian should do. Every Christian who is saved should serve. And if you're not serving, get on a ministry team and serve. You say, why? Because I believe this. This is what I believe. I believe when you join a ministry team, it's not just so we can add ministries and add programs and have more staff and ooh, look at us. We're going. We got all these people. That's not what it's about. I'm trying to get you into a lifestyle of serving. That everywhere you go, you serve. That you go to a restaurant, there comes a couple out, you hold the door. You do something kind. Where you see somebody, and they're in the grocery store, and they're short 20, where you're there with the 20 to pay for it. And you see somebody who's struggling with your child, and you can encourage them, say, hey, don't worry. You keep staying at it, mom. Stay at it, pop. You're going to do all right. You're going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And you serve others. When somebody's car breaks down, and they have a flat tire, and even though they have a Raider sticker, you still stop. You still pull over. And you still serve them. You just pray that they will repent, and they will love the 49ers in the process. But you still serve. But what happens too often is we're looking for nice feet. Instead of just saying, freely I have received, freely I give. I've received so much. Why give so little? Jesus poured out. So it's up to us to pour out. You see, when we pour out, God can pour more in. You see, serving is not an imposition on my calendar. It's an invitation to my calling. It's not an imposition on your calendar. Oh, it's Sunday. Man, I got a text. I got to usher. Man, we're already late. 
Forget it. I'm watching golf. Don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, man, unless they put me in charge of a ministry, I ain't going to serve. Come on, start somewhere. Serve somewhere. Jump on and help out. We used to do, I worked at a Christian camp, we would do this tug of war thing. You got to help me close. Everybody, let's stand while I finish this up. And man, we would play tug of war, and it was the whole camp. You would get a couple hundred people on each end of the rope. It's a huge rope and big old barn, and they would pull. And I would see kids give up. I'd say, don't give up. Jump on the rope and help pull. That's how you're going to do it. But too often, we're guilty of watching 20% do all the work. So we're asking church that saved people would serve people. We started saying it like this, though. No strings attached. We serve. Not so we can get a pat on the back. Last month, we did laundry love. We paid for people's laundry. Cost us, each one of us, the church didn't pay for it. We paid for it. People that went, we all pitched in. We paid for it. I told everybody that's going, about a dozen of us, bring 20 bucks. We're going to pay for people's laundry. Church isn't paying for this. We're going to do it. We're going to serve God. It's going to cost us something. We're going to pour out. Man, when we got there, people that didn't have money for their laundry, they walked in. Are you kidding me? You're going to pay for my laundry? I saw church members grab people, it's dirty laundry, pick it up for them, walk over to the washing machine, put it in. After they washed it, pick it up from the washing machine, throw it in the dryer. And the whole time, just talking to this person, encouraging them. The whole time, the person was like, why are you doing this? It's because we care about people. No, no, I really need to know why you're doing this. We care about people. No, no, I mean, tell me. Finally, they had to pull it out of us, pry it out of us, that we're from this church, we're kind of in a startup mode, and we love our community, but we don't just say it. We do it. It's our lifestyle. This week, we ordered 300 trees. On Christmas, we're giving away 300 trees for the community for free. I'm not going to charge them. We're going to pay for it. We're working on pumpkins to give away pumpkins to the community. We gave away 50 backpacks to people who needed backpacks. That's the heart of generosity. But it's not just something the church does. What can you do? Church, our country right now is in chaos. Charlottesville, what happened there is sad tragedy. Wouldn't it have been different if one person said, I'm just going to serve that person? Wouldn't your family be different, husband, if you just served your wife for no reason? Wife, if you just served your kids for no reason? Not because they got to make their bed or they got to do something, they, you just did it? Wouldn't it change your workplace? You just served your employees for no, no strings attached. It's just what you do. You just love Jesus. Wouldn't it make a difference in our church if you just showed up and just said, I just serve people, I just love people. Give people hugs, high fives, and, and let people know that Jesus loves them and he cares about them make a difference in our city our country needs it serving is so great save people serve people so that serve people we save people